It's time for Talking Pictures Trivia. A quick friendly reminder, you should change the direction of your ceiling fans depending on the season. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends and today's host, Nick, and with me is... Tom, Doug, John. Thanks for joining us, John and Doug. Oh yeah, Tom, thanks as well. John has recorded the beginning of another podcast called Limited Lexicon, where the Talking Pictures trivia crew play through an old text-based adventure game, which we're hoping will eventually get released. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. It's fun. I've enjoyed it. You may also remember Doug from our first episode, Raiders of the Lost Ark, as well as Solaris, American Graffiti, our trio of shorts, The Fugitive, and Videodrome episodes. Both John and Doug conveniently like movies. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz, as these pivotal questions will determine who earns today's trivia crown. In the first round, each question will be worth one point. And in the second round, each question will be worth two points. Then once the fierce competition is over, we follow it up with our famous movie rant where anything goes. Tom, tell us about today's movie. Today, we are continuing our Halloween block by going back to 2017 when Jordan Peele released his first movie, Get Out. Get Out was released in theaters alongside the Lego Batman movie, Fifty Shades Darker, Logan and Kong Skull Island. Nick, what is Get Out all about? I was finding it hard, uh, really challenging to sum up the contents of this movie as, you know, in my opinion, it is a refreshing take on the, you know, the horror genre, but I I really didn't know how to put it to words. So I figured I'd see what IMDb had to say. Sadly, I, I really don't think their description was much more enlightening. Here it is verbatim. A young African-American visits his white girlfriend's parents for the weekend, where his simmering uneasiness about their reception of him eventually reaches a boiling point. I think that's a gross understatement, but uh, I digress. While all this holds true, it's really just touching the surface of the twisted escapades being orchestrated by the Armitages, that's a tough one to say, and their secret order called the family. Yes, any mention of the coagula transmutation process would inherently be a major plot spoiler, so I guess it's hard to really say more without giving away the twist and any forthcoming revelations. Tom, if you only had one word to describe Get Out, what would it be? Uncomfortable. Doug? Falling. John? I kind of felt like a deer in the headlights. No, one word. That's like a lot of words. Oh, I I like that, though. (laughs) (laughs) Just beaming. And my word would be coagula. It's time for question one. So how long has this thing been going on? This this thing locked in. Locked in. I'm locked in. Doug. What is the answer? I'm going to say five months. John, what is the answer? Okay, maybe I misunderstood the question. Well, what did you lock in with? Um, 40 years. 40 years. 
You okay. Did. You did. <laughs> you did <understand> <laughs> thinking like how long is the collect like how long is the process like how long have they been abducting people <laughs> okay tom um initially he says four and she says uh no it's five months and yeah he goes oh sorry uh she's right and he's like get used to saying it yep <laughs> yep 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 there's a specific reason i was talking that way john <laughs> direct quote the, the points will go to Tom and Doug. The reason I brought this one up before we really get into where this movie goes, I wanted to bring up the actual relationship and dynamic between Chris and Rose, where we're introduced to them and kind of when it evolves or to its breaking point, if you will. Yeah, he's, he's a very charismatic actor. Um, Daniel Kaluuya, I think I'm saying it right. Um, British actor, I believe, who's, I, he was also in a Black Panther, wasn't he? Like he was one of the, the other tribes, uh, opposing tribes leader or something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, a fine relationship. I, I, <laughs> I kind of suffer through Alison Williams, <laughs> you know, um, but it is refreshing to watch her play uh, the privileged daughter of a very successful man who has given her the contacts to get ahead in the world. So, you know, something new for her. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I like the, I like the, the, the young man. Um, and, you know, she is really the, the great villain of the piece, right? She's like the great betrayer, probably more than anyone. Um, and so that, adds an interesting dynamic to the relationship. Because I think she is more than anyone, the villain of the piece. Also, this isn't the first time she's done this. We see later without giving away spoilers, but that's what we talk about in these episodes anyway. Uh, are we not gonna spoil this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we already well, I usually like to try to follow the flow of the, the movie through the questions. That's more okay. of what I mean. There is a stack of, what the heck are they called? Photographs, Polaroids. Polaroids, thank you. There's a stack of Polaroids where she's done this many times. And think about it. She invests some serious time into each one of these entrapments, if you will. Like five months per, you know, person. I mean, it, yeah, it's it's a poaching, yeah. right? And the the uh, the brother does the same thing. I don't remember his name. Well, he does it quick. He just, yeah, he just, yeah, yeah, he, he just, just, just straight just up getting that, which seems a little bit more efficient if you think about it. <laughs> well, so I, I tried to look into Armitage, the name, and I don't know if it means anything, but Armateur means a ship owner. So if you think of people as, you know, capturing, um, capturing uh, Africans and taking them into, you know, into captivity, the name has some kind of resonance. I might be overreading that though. But I mean, they're both poachers, right? They're both predators, the, the brother. She is the more pernicious one because she makes you love her. He loves her at a certain point. He admits that. And that's really what's so kind of terrible about how she... Even at the end. At the end, though, what she does is she takes on the, the sort of the mantle of the, the victim, right? The victim of like this brutal person. Um, and she has that kind of... Uh, uh, that little smile and she she embodies that role as opposed to and that's part of the the predation is the fact that she can then slip into 
um, th this kind of stereotype of, of the white female victim, as well as the, the lover. We also see this in their personality where the brother is more aggressive, even in his interactions with people, where the sister takes more of a psychological manipulation approach. So it's interesting to see how they play out even in normal social situations, really mimics how their, I don't know, their abduction tactics are taking place. <laughs> I, I was just thinking this may this is obviously more spoilers spoilers but um it's interesting to me that um like especially at the very end when like he's about to kill her and she he decides to not commit the act like I always questioned like whether or not at that point is this like him giving mercy to her by not killing her or is this giving mercy by just leaving her die in the middle of the street, like his mom did, like that deer did in the beginning and that whole everything coming together. See, I took it as that he thought she would suffer more. She was already gone. And and yeah. that to that second point there where that is the punishment in itself slowly bleeding to death. I, I think what it is though is, I, I think so much of that scene is that facial expression she has where she becomes, at first she, pleads as a lover and then she becomes a victim right she becomes the, you know the white victim of this kind of of this beast or this you know the, the, this uh this black other and for him to not strangle her anymore is to not be the thing that he's assigned to be to not be the role he's assigned to be so by letting her go he's not being taken into the role that she wants him to play she really is a, a good manipulator. I mean, and she turns it on and off. Like she'll be in one thing and then boom, the other, the real personality comes out. It's time for question two. Where are those keys, Rose? Specifically, how many times does Chris Washington ask, say, or demand for those keys? Locked in. These are the questions I was afraid of you asking. <laughs> I do not predict this one. Uh, I'm locked in with a guess. I'm locked in with a guess. <laughs> okay. I will allow people to relock in if they want, but we're playing Price is Right rules, so the closest to it without oh. going over. Oh. <laughs> oh. I think I'm good. I, I'll keep my locked in. Uh, I'll keep mine. Uh, yeah, crap. I don't know. Should I change it? Um, um, so you shouldn't tell us until after we all. Okay. <laughs> um, I will relock in. Okay. So I think we got everyone. I can't even pay attention to who locked in what order. So I think Doug, were you last? Maybe. I think I was last. Okay, John, start us up. Um, I I think eight times. Doug. I was gonna say five. Tom. I changed it from eight to seven. So God, I hope it's seven. <laughs> he says the word keys nine times. Oh, John will get the point. Oh. oh my God. I'm like 10. No, that's way too high. Yeah. It was a lot. It was a lot. I literally went through the whole sequence from when he's like, we got to go. Uh, where's my camera? And then it's, where's the keys? Keys. When are we getting, still haven't found those keys? Where are the keys? 
Rosie, keys. <laughs> I just knew it wasn't double digits. Yeah, it was close. It was close. It was actually more than I thought when I went down that path. Now, the reason I brought this one up was this is a pivotal scene where we see the true colors of every single member of the Armitage family. So I thought this would be a perfect time for us to go over the individual members as well as how they work as a uniform team for these atrocities. Yeah, I mean, I said before, I think the 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 great villain is Allison Williams's character. Um, uh, Bradley Whitmore is always a delight. He he, he was he great. Has, he, he was is, great. I mean, he always has been, even going back to the West Wing. He just has so much fun on screen. Um, they're the family itself. Their their impetus for what they're doing is interesting. It seems to be like a Gnostic sort of view of the world where, you know, they're these gods trapped in these fleshy substances, which is Gnosticism. It's like, it's, it's like 2,500 year old idea, um, you know, and that you have to elevate out of the, the flesh and evolve into something new. Um, and so that seems to be the sort of religious belief that's inspiring these neurosurgeons to, to, to do what they're doing. Um, that really threw me off. I actually, that was the one scene I think I rewatched because when he's talking, when Bradley Whitmore's character is talking to the fire, and he's like, what is your goal in life? We are fleshy beings, but we are gods trapped in the, you know, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what is well, I incentive? thought they were, they were hunting or searching for immortality. That, that was their, their yeah, whole approach, I, uh, the family. That, yeah. yeah, that's the idea of Gnosticism, right? Is that okay. you would, you're like a, you the, the flesh is bad and there's this kind of, in some people, but not in all people, there is a divine spirit, a, a spark of the divine, almost like a godlike thing. And um, the it, it has this kind of like Presbyterian feel, Calvinist feel, but the certain people have this, certain people don't. They're just kind of fleshy nonsense, no humans um, or humans, but not gods. And then like the the people with the hidden knowledge, the gnosis, which is where Gnostic, Gnosticism comes from or that word comes from, um, they kind of like evolve out of or elevate out of this, this evil flesh into whatever, godlike status. And so that seems to be kind of what's going on. There's this kind of idea of like, we are that elect and um, for some reason uh, these people were selecting, these African-American people were selecting are the people who don't have the spark of the divine in them, they're not godly. That's how I read the family's sort of worldview, at least Dean Armitage's worldview. I, I definitely can understand that and it's, it's interesting how, especially how Jordan Peele, like the director, uh, plays that and like I think he plays it really smoothly like because like everything at that point on is I would almost say is surrealist it's very uh I don't want to say all over the place because that's definitely not the term to use but like it goes and like takes those themes and like those uncomfortableness that we've seen and takes it to the extreme in the belief and all that thought process. And I really liked how, like, even like during that whole point where you're right, it's definitely like they consider these 
African-Americans less divine, even out of like that port and context, like the man that uh, Chris was going to swap with, Chris, the main character was going to uh, take over was just a blind man. He's like, I don't, I don't really care about any of this stuff. I just want your eyes, man. Yeah, that's why I think they actually smoothed that out a little bit. He said, we really don't know the reason why you're going. There's certain traits that are desirable, people say are favorable. But I actually thought that was peeling away from maybe the, the race element here to say that this just happens to be what this audience is looking to. We could do this with anybody. And I, I don't want to go too far down that path, but I thought that was a way for them pulling back, saying this is just what this they are here providing a service to the family. And this is what those people in the secret order are asking for. So I thought they kind of actually shifted a little bit there and made it a little bit more neutral on, on the audience. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, one, one kind of side thought that I've had is, was Chris just, um, you know, just targeted by Rose or was he actually I wonder if he was targeted by um, Hudson from the beginning. Or, you know, do, do the Armitages pick all their victims or do the people who are going to take over the body actually um, take them? Because uh, Hudson, the, the uh, Stephen Roots character, he knew all about Chris and he, he admired him, you know, so it, it, you know, it, it didn't just happen to be at that event, you know, uh, you know, and it's like, oh, I happen to like this one, I'll bid on him. You know, it seemed like he, you know, he knew all that in advance. So anyway, so I, I wonder if he was, you know, if if uh, the Armitage's friends all like, you know, they, they come up with like a hit list, you know, and send it to them. I guess they do. Yeah, right. I think they're playing towards their audience to find people that might be desirable for that procedure. But in the end, we do see one scene where the daughter is already on the hunt for her next victim. And it seems to be an independent choice. Like she may know what the audience is looking for. And that's what she's going on the hunt for, for lack of a better term. So it's more of a supply and demand. Hey, we know that this is what people are looking for. I'm going to find that out in the world. And this is yeah. what was in right now. <laughs> yeah, I think there was a there is an element of the race factor that the that Peel is bringing in, which is this sort of black is in idea, right? That there's this sort of um, it's cool, it's strong, it's you know talented, whatever it is. That that type of idea of looking at someone as, um, how do you say? Some of traits, I mean. That's yeah, a sum of traits, but also like, like cool, like, like black is cool now. And so that's what we want, you know, we want, it, it's a trend, it's, it's not a person. And I think that's the criticism here. It's this sort of, it's, it's what Bradley Whitmore's character Dean is doing throughout the whole thing. It's this like, um, Ophacious, over-the-top acceptance of someone because they're different, and it's such an acceptance that you know it, it becomes it becomes imprisoning, right? It, it becomes um, um, confining, and it's not the racism of Jim Crow. It's it's a different type of thing, but it replicates some of those traits, including what we see is an auction. An auction isn't Jim Crow. 
obviously slavery that predates Jim Crow, but it's, it's um, there's certain older genes that are being inherited that in this more modern conception of racism, um, but are kind of transformed or expressed differently um, because of the, you know, the modern circumstance. But I don't think it's veering away from racism. I think it's looking at it in a different way. At the end of round one, we have a tie game with everyone with one point. So anything can happen in round two. We'll be right back after these brief messages from one of our valued sponsors. From the makers of Handsome Mice comes Tan Hamsters. These hamsters are fun for the whole family, and also, they're very tan. With tans to rival George Hamilton's, our hamsters make excellent pets for the holidays. Your child will love not only an adorable friend for life, but a tan adorable friend for life. A friend he can learn personal responsibility from by feeding him, giving water to him, and allowing him 30 minutes per day in a custom-built hamster-sized tanning bed. What a reward for your family, and what a tan hamster. That's Tan Hamsters, from the makers of Handsome Mice. And we're back. We're at the critical point of our episode where we ask our guests a key question, and this is going to be both to Doug and John. If you could watch Get Out with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? Um, I feel like Bradley would probably talk a lot, but that's just from the performances I've seen him in. I have no idea if he's like, he might be complete opposite in real life. No, he really does have a great uh, screen presence. Tom, I don't know if you're up to date. You mentioned some of his other works, but he also has a role in Handmaid's Tale where he's very, very good as well. I probably better than this performance. I haven't seen Handmaid's Tale. Okay. It's one of the, you know, not one of the earlier seasons. John, same question at you. I had a hard time with this. Um, I think a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I was like thinking maybe um, someone who would be more interested in the subject matter on this and have an interesting opinion. Um, I was thinking possibly like Spike Jones because um, I, I think I had that discussion with you on like um, his other, his one film that I'm trying to remember the name of, uh, Being John Malkovich and that whole thing around that. And also Spike Jones is just, you know, amazing director on his own. Um, it was also, so probably, yeah, probably Spike Jones. Do you think either one of your, um, the people you'd watch it with, do you think they would watch it in silence or do you think they'd be very vocal <laughs> during the, uh, the rewatch here? My dead or alive person or? Yeah, no, no. If you were watching with uh, Spike Jones, do you think he would be someone who'd be like talking over the movie and really saying his input or really just taking it in? And the same thing for uh, Bradley Whitford, for Doug. You know, I haven't asked him. Uh, <laughs> um, I, think, I think he's a chill dude. I think he'd be quiet, but I also don't know. <laughs> It's time for question three. What is the hygienic faux pas that occurs in the surgery scene? Locked in. Uh, Tom is locked in strong there. I, I think I know what you mean, yeah. 
right, I think I got one. Um, wow, I, I, it's funny. I know someone mentioned this before, and I don't know what it is. <laughs> um, I, I'm locked in. I'm locked in. Okay, John, with all that confidence, what do you got? Uh, it's not confidence. Uh, I was gonna say like maybe it was just like I guess like not enough to protect like the fit because like they had like the small mask but like they had hair um, and stuff like that. So I figured maybe it was like just not enough face protection or enough like sanitization on that front. That sounds really dumb. Okay, we're gonna move on to Doug. Uh, it's probably wrong, but uh, I think he throws the piece of the skull like in the garbage can. That was my other guess. I was like, that's probably the better guess. <laughs> that does happen. Tom. That was my mine. Mine was also the skull and the casually throwing the skull in the garbage. Okay. Well, a little uh, side note here. My wife is a doctor in the medical profession. And it jumped out at her specifically while we were watching this film that he put on his rubber gloves before his face mask, which is not the way you would do that. First, you would cover up your mask and then apply your rubber gloves. So it totally took me out of the scene. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I was like, I knew it was something stupid. I was thinking it was a bucket first. And I was like, no, that's too obvious. It's like something really small. You were close with the face mask, but I, I just, I, I, I feel they, like- I didn't have it. I, I feel like it yeah. wasn't there. The gloves- No, I definitely didn't The gloves it. were the key true. part. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, th- this is just a, 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 a bad segue into, I wanted to talk about the movie premise. <laughs> <laughs> so skulls in the garbage can are okay. <laughs> <laughs> listen listen That's perfectly hygienic yes 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 because they're not they're, i think is he putting it back on maybe i don't know but there's there's a close chance there yeah i don't i really don't know how that one plays out needless to say that gentleman never got his skull uh reattached to in my opinion well he, he was never going to, they were right? just going to take his brain out right oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. that's that's why it didn't matter it was in the garbage can because he was never using it again. But it so. doesn't make it hygienic. <laughs> no, 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 no. But that's the other, you, you get my point. The other mm-hmm. one is actually about hygiene when you're doing, uh, you know, brain surgery. <laughs> okay. So, but yeah, let's, let's forget, forget that question. <laughs> let's mm-hmm. talk about the actual movie presence. I've been saying throughout this episode and in the intro, and even in my first impressions that I actually thought it was pretty well done. And this time on my rewatch, I really looked at the different elements that come along the way to see if they flowed correctly. So for example, when they're going up to the Armitage's house and get pulled over, we find out that she doesn't want her boyfriend to provide his ID. But the real reason is not because of any kind of outrageous behavior of social norms or whatnot. It's the fact that we don't want a track record of where this guy was going. So that's just one example of many things that happen throughout this, this film that actually do make sense to trying to cover their tracks. Do they though? Yeah. I mean, but the guy, is the guy going to, this is, I was a little confused about this. So this is just yeah. part of the, the part of the premises. It's not actually that big a deal. Sure. Um, they keep 
referring to the people who have been occupied, the, the uh, black people who've been occupied by the, the white people as missing, but they're not, right? I mean, like Chris with Stephen Root in him could go back to his old life. And actually that would probably be what Stephen Root would want because Chris can keep taking photographs and, you know, there you go, right? So would that be the, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not because Geraldine and um, and the other fellow who, who lives on the premise, the grandfather and grandma aren't missing, right? People know where they are. They just don't realize, you know, that they're not them anymore. I don't think I that's think true because the grandparents kept their roles and stayed in their house. Those people aren't back in their normal environment, uh, the ones who have been taken over. And that other gentlemen who was- Andre. The Brooklyn Andre. musician. Yeah, Andre yeah. Logan King was the character. Lakeith Stanfield is the actor. He took over the life of the person that he became the host for because he's yeah. the elderly wife and all that. Yeah, he's but dressing like definitely not how he was introduced, nor was he talking how he was introduced. Yeah. So not they don't usually go back to like in the circumstances you're talking about. This gentleman might have done that with Chris. Right, but they're not. So the thing I was confused about Andre was everyone else is not missing. They're just living their life differently, right? I don't know if that's true. It, okay. I don't know if that's true. You know what's I realized is really funny with because uh, another spoiler thing, but like with and maybe I'm maybe ruining it again, but like with the flash that like waked people up, like Chris is a photographer and he would have gone back to the photographer, like being coming like a photographer taking photography. I feel like there's a high chance he was just like, ooh, make a picture of himself. He's like, ah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. He uses fancy, fancy uh, cameras. Now he's not using his iPhone, but I, I, I don't sure, know. He's like, get away from the flash. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he's not looking into it. He's shooting from the you know, back. But needless to say, I don't think there's enough evidence, Tom, to support that. The only one we know that was abducted was Andre, but maybe that's because the son is rash in his methods, whereas the daughter's method, which is the two that became the grandparents, is more methodical. And There's a lot them. more. There's yeah. a lot more than the two. Yeah. Um, you know. A handful I, or two. Yeah. Yeah, there was a bunch of them. It was just, so what, what I'm confused about is why is Andre missing? Like, why doesn't Andre just go back to his life, marry the older woman, right? And like, that's not what we're shown here, Tom. That, I know just, it's not what we're yeah, shown. I was yeah, just, yeah, yeah. that's what I'm saying. That's the part of the plot I was confused by. Like, yeah. I think because the older, like the older woman, like that couple just wanted to have their life, but with a different body. Yep. I think it was more on that. Yeah. And they didn't care about the person or his life or anything about him. Like they don't really want to know anything more. Yeah, I guess that makes and sense. Yeah, just, we've seen yeah. that with some of the other guests there who were just really frail and like really looking to body swap. Mm -hmm. yeah. This is a gentleman that had already went through that procedure because he was almost bragging. There's a scene where he's almost bragging about, look at, you know, I can do this and I've got all this mm -hmm. energy now, almost selling in the process to the other people at the uh, special party. What you're saying about Rose too is interesting because there's, when he was, when she was looking up the next person, someone pointed out how like when eating like uh fruit loops and drinking it she I think with the black time and drinking milk is also weird yeah like 
She's definitely creepy. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah, Keenan Michael Key, right? Is he was uh, the guy they were looking at? Oh, was he? Yeah, that was the guy on the web page. Was there really? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. That's actually. Really oh, I, would... I didn't know. I didn't know that uh, little mm-hmm. Easter egg. Oh, that that's funny. That's I amazing. couldn't make it out myself. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, but in, in terms of your question, Nick, yeah, I, I think the premise the premise works, and horror movies are really good at this. They have. Oh, I'm sorry, John. Are you raising your hand? No, but like, <laughs> it's it's fine. But like, uh, one point I did want to finish on that was just like two were separating the fruit loops from the milk, the whites from the colors, and have they in like that same sort of mm-hmm. pretense that was. Oh yeah. Kind of there. Mm-hmm. She creepy. She fruit creepy. loop fruit loop symbolism yeah. <laughs> that's, I, that's some I symbolism eating she's I, doing I definitely it. didn't look at it with that lens i just was like she creepy and she crazy yeah. <laughs> that, that's that was it for me yeah. was it? oh i would say like horror movies are good at this kind of thing right at the kind of social justice focus or a focus on i shouldn't say social justice on, on social problems um i mean the original you know night of the living dead did this same thing it was also a horror movie about you know racism and ends in this kind of shocking um demonstration of that uh so you know and and the bloomhouse movies have done that they have the uh what's called the hunt is a recent film of theirs which i haven't seen but apparently has all these kind of political resonances and whatnot the purge is another one that does that kind of thing with class um so it's actually the premise within this this kind of small horror movie works really well and there's actually a tradition of it working really well along those lines i found this one very balanced though because some movies can lean too heavy in one direction versus another and kind of lose their place where i thought this did a very good job of you know having their thoughts behind the scenes but also portraying a very interesting story you know mystery thriller horror kind of all wrapped up into one it's time for Question four. How does Rod Williams have the incredible skill set allowing him to track Chris down and come to the rescue? <laughs> locked in. Locked in. Locked in. I believe John was first to lock in. Oh, no. So Doug was last to lock in. So you got to go first. <laughs> Is it TSA agent? That's the cleanest way you can say it. Yep. Uh, uh, John? TSA. <laughs> Tom? I had the same thing. TSA. Okay. We, okay. No, I'll, I'll leave off. <laughs> yeah. He handles stuff. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> now, this movie, we've been talking a lot of the different themes, really the horror elements, the thriller elements. I did want to like end on a little bit of a lighter note. Let, let's talk about the comic relief that was injected in this film. Did it land? Did it not land? Where did you guys feel about? The comic relief, specifically, Rod Williams was the character uh, played by Lil Ray Howery. I I thought it landed. I thought it did a really good job. I like it. Sort of had that same meta with everything else, where like I think like Chris kind of knew, Rod definitely knew, just like or was assuming at some capacity for that entire experience, and it made it really good because it was just like nothing was ever like pulling punches away from the audience. It was like, no, this is a reasonable approach to take here. And I think Rod, acting not just as the comic relief, but like kind of like the audience insert 
was really good. What's crazy is he was closest to being right about what was going yeah. on this whole time. <laughs> it's kind of nuts. I also felt, I don't want to speak for everyone else, but I also felt it landed. It was a nice compliment to this heavy and almost uncomfortable movie at times, but not necessarily in a bad way because their dialogue, especially with the Armitages, it seemed like how an awkward conversation would be with those, in, with those kind of people in that dynamic. And he came in and anytime he was on the screen, I really did enjoy it. But what about you, uh, Doug and Tom? How did you feel about his uh, character? I liked it for the most part. I felt there were a couple, like there were a couple of his little monologues that I felt like maybe went like one or two sentences too long. And if it was, could have been tightened up a little bit, um, at least, at least just to give more weight to the other things he was saying. Cause some, some of the times he was just saying too many things and talking a little too fast to really, uh, I don't know, lock, lock it in as, as well as it could have been. There was only one specific time that I felt that way where he kept going on. He's like, Oh, I guess his phone died. I'm like, hello, we're the audience. We know his phone died. You know, his phone died. But other than that, I, I liked it. Tom? Yeah, he, he doesn't actually do anything in the movie. Like the, the, the way it's set up is once uh, Chris goes down into the, into the basement, um, the film then cuts to him and it has a few scenes where he's trying to, you know, to investigate it or, or solve the police. The oh, they yeah. The, the, the police scene. Yeah. Um, but it actually, it's, it's interesting comic relief because it doesn't really actually intersect with the film. I mean, even in the, even in he the last scene, he picks him <laughs> up. Yeah. But even in the last scene, it's kind of like, he's not really rescuing him. Chris has kind of rescued himself by that point. Yes, definitely. Um, he did a lot of the heavy lifting. Yeah, I suppose with uh, with Rob, you do get Chris's responses to what's happening at the house. Um, you know that that's you you get it with somebody who he's uh, sympathetic to and somebody who he's similar to, which is very important. Which Allison Williams' character, he's not similar to her, so you get he gets to be himself kind of more completely when he's talking with Rod. Rob or Rod? Rod. I think it's Rod. It's Rod. 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 Okay. When he's when he's talking to Rod. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree with Doug. I, I and and you Nick as well. There is a uh, it goes on a little bit, um, you know. But it's it's kind of it, he's a little bit of a a, a dogberry from um, uh, Much Do About Nothing. You know, the kind of the comic character that's sort of complementing the rest of the the picture. I have to say the uh, the scene with uh, with the cops where he's explaining his whole theory was one of the funniest parts of the movie. Yeah, so good. <laughs> and I, th I think it at least you know to me it's you know like playing into the whole you know racism aspect. You know, it's uh, I don't know if it's a t detective or captain, but you know she's black, and then she brings in two more black uh, officers. And, you know, none of them believe him, which is, you know, what makes it funny. It, you know, obviously it wouldn't work if they were white. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it wouldn't. It would be, um, it would be, yeah, there would be another source of offense, right? Not a source of humor. I, I also, I just like how he just did a, the best slash worst job explaining it. Because he was just like. It's like, yeah, we did the same thing. TSA detective, tomato, tomato. <laughs> I might have more skills than you actually. He said something like that. 
it was like the worst way to say it, which is amazing. It broke my heart a little bit to have to like a TSA agent, but <laughs> I don't think that has to do with the movie. It's true. It's very fair. We have a tie game after both rounds, so we are definitely going to the bonus question. Not that it matters. This bonus question could be worth anything, but it will be worth three points. It's time for a bonus question. When is the first time the audience definitively knows the true identity of the Armitage's house staff? So like, when is it like, when can they assume or when is it like? No, not assume. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. I think, I think I'm locked in then. I think I'm locked in. All right. I think I'm locked in too. Doug's going to start us up. Sorry, Doug, you keep going last. <laughs> I am going to say when Chris watches the video when he's uh, locked or tied up in the basement. Okay. I think it's uh, John. I believe it's they don't say it. It's kind of assumed at that point. And I think it's when Chris is leaving, picks up um, the, uh, what's her face? The housekeeper. The housekeeper and drives away and Rose comes out and says, grandma and like, says it like that. And then I think later on she says, grandpa or get him grandpa. So basically when Rose affirms it. Tom? I had the same thing, man. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, we're you going Geraldine to and yeah, her saying, yeah. Grandma, get him, Grandpa. Yeah, I had. I was going to say the exact same thing. Yeah, Doug, in the video, it doesn't specifically show us that those are the reincarnations. You know, it, it could allude to it, but I wanted actual confirmation, and you can't get more than her actually shouting Grandma and Grandpa. So on, on that note, I thought I didn't really pay too much attention to the scars the forehead scars um, the first time I'd watched it. And then on the second viewing, noticing, uh, cause you see that on the, the grandma and grandpa only later because her hair is moved and then his hat is off. Yep. And then the other gentleman yeah. also is wearing a hat. Yeah. I was somehow going to try to formulate it in the question. So thank you very much. But yes, that's what I'm saying. This the second watch, I was able to look for those elements too, Doug. Yeah, I, I actually missed that. I did um, see that. That's why she was always adjusting her wig. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't cover. figure out why she was doing that. Yeah. Um, and when I out of the movie, I came to the conclusion that somehow she was enjoying her image, or the person she took over is in there somewhere. You know, I, I didn't think I, that was the reason. I just thought she was. I thought the same thing that she just liked. The, her beauty too much was like kind of a vanity thing and i did see the scars later on i just didn't put two and two together yep doug that could have been a question for you. <laughs> oh, man. so we're gonna go into a second bonus question here it's time for a bonus question in what olympics was the grandfather's racing record broken oh i think locked in oh uh... I'll lock in. Uh, I think I'm locked in. Okay, Doug, which one? I'm going to say 1936. Same. At the Berlin Olympics of 1936. <laughs> okay, we're going to the next bonus question. <laughs> it's time for a bonus question. 
Who beat the record? Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. <laughs> These are not very good questions. <laughs> Would you all like to just say it? Jesse Owens. Jesse Owens. <laughs> okay, I don't think we're having a movie rant tonight. <laughs> I, I have a question. <laughs> it's time for a bonus question. What martial art does Chris have experience in? Locked in. Ooh. That was one that, <laughs> I that know this could one. have been a contender. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, locked in. Judo. I had judo too. <laughs> judo <laughs> judo in the one. first grade. Yeah. <laughs> it's time for a bonus question. How many scenes were the characters of Chris Washington and Rod Williams in together? Oh. I'm locked in. I'm locked in. Same thing, Price is Right rules. But in together, just real quick, actually. Stop Stop asking the questions. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> You're only helping your competitors. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to lock in. Oh, sure. oh, oh, this could be a big one right here. Uh, Tom, start us up. I think it's one. I'm going to say one as well. For the sake of ending this, I will say two, <laughs> just to keep it different from Tom. Tom wins the episode. They were in one scene together, which was the final Last. scene. Yep. That's the, I, I only time. That's the only time they were together. John may have not wanted to end this so that he can go to bed and uh, get some sleep before work. But needless to say, a, a valiant effort by all. Uh, Tom took it down in the end. <laughs> Due to having more endurance. Not more <laughs> you know what, though? If we didn't take that restroom break, Tom, I don't know if you would have had it in you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's time for Movie Rant. Well, this is going to be our shortest movie rant ever. Instead of actually ranting, I thought it might be interesting to see KJ's predictions of what my questions would be prior to the episode. And, and for all you out there, KG is our man behind the curtain who does a lot of the editing and production for these episodes. He was also on the first 60 of them. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening to this, you've probably heard him before. <laughs> or if you enjoy those uh, tones of the bumper. So, you, you know, you know who KJ is. So here we go. KJ was trying to predict what my get out questions would be. And he was right on one of our bonus questions. No, he was not. Sorry. He was wrong. He was always wrong. First, first question. How many different ways did people get killed in this movie? Which is something I would ask. However, those questions tend to get long. Um, but I guess I could have just done it in a number-based and prices right rules. But I didn't want to sit there and count them all. Six. So I think it, I think was, it was six. The family members, right? The gentleman who didn't succeed with the operation. Yeah. So that would be yeah. five. Who's your six, Tom? It's um, the four members of the family. Oh, seven, actually. Oh. So it's the four members of the family. It's Stephen Root, and then it's the two grandparents. Yes, I would say seven as well without having mm-hmm. anyone fact check. Okay, the next one, and I don't think we should spend the time on this one unless someone really knows it. 
How many sports are mentioned in this film? I, I know lacrosse was mentioned. Uh, Look, is lacrosse mentioned? We see the stick. We see the stick. No, lacrosse, I think, was... Ju no. Not mentioned. Jiu-jitsu, yeah. judo, basketball, baseball, football. And, football, football, and golf. Yes. He knows Tiger Woods. The swing. How's your swing? Yeah. 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 I think lacrosse. I know we saw the lacrosse stick, but... I don't remember either... them mentioning it, though. Oh, maybe it was a captain of the lacrosse team that, like, yes. was stated. Oh, wait, are we also counting the runner, though? Because he was Oh, yeah. Track. Oh, yeah. Track. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so what are we at, eight, then? Yeah. If the lacrosse eight. is yeah. there? Okay. Mm -hmm. And then this one, um, I thought this was a little more obvious. That's why I didn't do it. But who wins the bingo game, which was really a secret auction? Yes, Stephen Root. Yeah. Yes, which we discussed. And the last one was, oh, he thought I was going That's the timestamp route. So at what timestamp do we find out what is really going on? That is subjective. Um, uh, I would say I'd, the Polaroids, right? Polaroids. I would say the Stephen Root. I would say the auction, right? What do you mean know what's going on? I think we, have, we are affirmed in the explanation between Stephen Root and Chris when he's strapped in the chair and he's looking at the TV. I think that's oh, when it's confirmed. Yeah. So I'd say that's a, like a buck 20. No, but I would say it's before that. If you're saying that scene, John, I would say it was the Polaroids before that, that he really knows something's going on because these people were with her and not acting like they were. In fact, there's a scene with the groundskeeper where Chris says, it looks like that guy like knows you, knows you, you know what I mean? And at first I thought it was just like a loving grandfather stare, but there were glimpses where the passenger who is the prior you know, person whose body truly is, can sneak out or have a little bit of a glimpse. I thought that might've been one of the occurrences. And there was another occurrence where the housekeeper, when she was staring at him, you could kind of see she had a blank face and almost started to cry. I don't remember the sequence, but the one where I think we have, if I was gonna answer that question, but definitively, would be the Polaroids. I think the Polaroids, that's when we know there's some body swapping craziness going well, on. We don't know there's body swapping going on. But it's not just craziness hip, going on. Well, hip, they could be hypnotized at that point too. But, they could but be we, don't, we don't know that. We know we don't know there's body swapping going on until Stephen Root starts talking. Yeah. We, we know that the whole party is about Chris at about an hour when we see the auction. Yeah. The Stephen Root scene is like a, I don't know, like a buck 20, an hour 20 into the. Into yeah, the that sounds right. Was, was that him? No, I'd say an hour even, hour 10. I thought that was someone else. I thought that was the grandfather on the video. Oh, actually, right? the grandfather on the video is first who explains the process. Oh, you're right. Yeah. So that actually would be the first yeah. like, reveal of the coagula. <laughs> but you don't know what it is until Stephen Root says, this is what happens. You're going to be in the sunken place from here on out. Now you know why I didn't ask that question. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's <laughs> very nice. subjective. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I was gonna go into being John Malkovich man theory. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's the kind of fetishizing of occupying somebody else's skin, yeah, right? Yeah. In this case, it's also like occupying somebody else's culture. Yeah. That's sort of you know the thing. Yeah. And there's also this like rehab, like this kind of you know kind of limousine liberal idea of like rehabilitating people, people who you see as needing rehabilitation to make them like you um there's no so yeah there's that that's definitely in here this is like yeah you know um with our us combined right with our method 
and your gifts, as they say in the uh, the end. Quite of the bluntly. Thing. Yeah, like we could really move forward together in the world. Blah 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 blah. And it's like it's 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 such a modern um, it's such a modern take on on that kind of whatever that kind of bigotry. So I do think that's really very present in the movie. I mean, it's obviously present in the movie, but I think that's the form it takes. It's this like, we can lift you up and together we can work with you, that type of thing. And it's true because they do have that like mindset, but like the actual practicality that they use it for is fairly hedonistic in a way. Well, it's self-serving. I mean, yeah, it's self-serving. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, so are all of these discourses, right? They tend Mm -hmm. to be. Yeah. Yeah, along that line. But I think that was that was an interesting take on it. It's not your traditional. Because if you ever say, have you guys seen Night of the Living Dead? The original. I feel like I have, but it was probably 66. on TV. Tom, <laughs> when you mentioned that, I, I was going to jump up because I was working with KJ today and he brought up the exact same point. <laughs> oh, did he? He made the same point? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, so Night of the Living Dead ends with, um, um, basically the, the hero of the movie is this, this black man and they're trapped in a house and he's trying to save these these white people from these zombies um and you know uh and they're kind of getting themselves killed and in the end of the movie it's i think just him and he walks out and a sheriff is standing outside and he goes up oh, there's a zombie and they just shoot him in the head and the movie ends with still photographs of the sheriffs burning his body because they think he's a zombie and that's how the movie ends it's just you know, it's a real, it makes you really jump. I do remember mm-hmm. that. I did see that yeah. film. Now that you, you mentioned the ending there, I, I saw it, I think, when I was much younger. So maybe I really didn't understand everything else that was going on there. I was just watching it like blankly as a zombie film. <laughs> but, 68. It's 68. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I saw it on some random normal like TVs, not even cable TV, just like normal, you know? Mm-hmm. So going back a step, something I've been wondering is, so when Chris finds the Polaroids, it's because the closet door is open. There's no reason to look in there otherwise. So, and this is, this happens earlier in the movie when he wakes up in the middle of the night and it's never explained like why it's open. Like, did somebody purposely open it? Oh, that's right. It's been open. Yeah. I forgot about that. Did she did she put a Polaroid of them in there? Yeah, I think he I think they no, did. No, I don't no. No, is no was, because I'm the last just, one we see is with the female. Is, no, I thought it was Andre's last one we saw. No, it's Andre and then the woman. Because that's the thing. It's like the housekeeper. Of, yeah, guys, and then the housekeeper. Is it possible that Georgina opened it? Uh like as a, to give him a clue. That's that would she, be. An she had one choice. of those lapses. I don't know. It's possible. It is possible. I kind of actually. I like that. That makes I, sense. Because I mean, they she came in there and they undid the phone from the charger, but maybe she had a little moment where she was herself and could grab it. But they seem to be very fleeting. Usually, it's passenger. They did explain that they really can't affect things though unless unless doug hear me out on this one she went to unplug the phone but accidentally hit the camera so the flash hit her in the eyes so that she could open the door but then she lost control again so there you go 
solved. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Talking Pictures Trivia. Yes. <laughs> it's a podcast. <laughs> After a million bonus questions, I'd like to once again congratulate our winner of the week, which was Tom. The endurance took this one down. I think John J- Johnny B might have taken a dive here. Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. No, it was fun. It was a or, lot of fun. Or taking one for the team. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It was a great time. In addition to our website, TalkingPicturesTrivia.com, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts as well as our YouTube channel. We are extremely grateful for any positive reviews as those help others like you find us. If you like what you hear, remember to like and subscribe to our show. How did it go when you met your in-laws or significant other's parents and why? <laughs> Let's continue the conversation on Twitter at Talking Studios. Have additional thoughts? Email us at TalkingPicturesTrivia at gmail.com or give us a call at 201-467-8679 for a chance to be featured on one of our future From the Listeners episodes. Thanks again, John and Doug, for joining us today. I, I demand a recount. <laughs> we lost track anyway Uh, Doug. like a few bonus questions in yeah thanks for having me as always yeah thank you very much for having me it was a lot of fun i like listening to the podcast and uh i hope you know hope we can do this again or do limited lexicon yes all of the above (laughs) you can find me on twitter at thomas layman 15 B-sides are coming back. Sorry, there's been a delay. I have a, I have a bunch of deadlines coming up and it's really made B-side very difficult to do. But B-sides will be coming back. I promise we will be covering actually a few of these pictures. So uh, look for that this weekend. Great, looking forward to it. I can also be found on Twitter at the nickname. Join us next time when we discuss Tom's recommendation from Japan in 1977 house stay tuned for our first impressions of this film ding 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 tom why don't you start actually because it seems like you may have had some favorable opinions on this film yeah i this is my first time watching this for for the home listener kj suggested this but couldn't be here today it was already on the schedule and uh, as everybody knows who listens to the show i am a most generous spirit. So I took over this responsibility from our, our delinquent editor. And the first time I watched it, I was a bit confused. The, the movie is, is, is nuts. It's, it's as maximum as a film can be. And then I, I watched uh, Obayashi's later film, Saad. And I watched then an earlier film of his, an earlier expender, experimental film from the 1960s emotion. And then I rewatched this and I kind of, I, I, I really loved it the next time out. Um, I sort of felt I, I understood it a lot more. I felt what I didn't understand was kind of pure filmmaking and, and pure joy. And I just, I had, once I came back to it, sort of, I don't know, prepped, you might say, even though I think that's the wrong word, um, open to it possibly. Uh, I was, I had a great time watching it the second time and I started even a third time. I, you know, I really cannot wait to explore Obayashi's canon um, because this movie is bonkers and exciting and very, very interesting. I think 
in future seasons, we are going to do another one of his films. I'll just say I'm very confident of that. <laughs> Sorry, Nick. Is it like this? I know. Is it like um, this one? House, it, by the way, is the film. Oh, yeah, we're talking... <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're talking about the film House. Uh, 1977. The 1977 um, famous Japanese export. Uh, how about you guys? Who? What was your guys' opinions, uh, feelings, sensations watching this movie? I had a very different opinion than you, Tom. I wasn't sure why we were watching this film, nor was I sure why this film was even created. I have no familiarity with anything else this director has done, if this is his style, uh, if this is a one-off, I literally thought when we were watching this, this was like someone's college film project. And I didn't know why KJ was subjecting us to it. There are elements that I think would be fun to discuss. I would have been okay not really watching this one. This was, this was my first time watching this film. I had heard of a film called House, but I was thinking of the one from the 80s. Uh, with the, the iconic movie poster of the, the dismembered hand sticking its finger in the keyhole to get into the house. When I watched the trailer for the 1977 version of House, I was intrigued by the, the visuals that I saw. And, you know, I thought back, okay, you know, in the, the mid to late 70s, you get things like Jaws and Star Wars and Halloween and Monty Python and Holy Grail and some of these movies that I just appreciate so much. And then there's this movie which is just not on that level whatsoever. And I, it's, uh, I got really excited when I saw the Toho card saying that that was the production company that did it. And that was probably the most excited I got through the whole thing. This is a pretty interesting movie because it divides people so clearly. There, there is no in-between. You know, nobody's lukewarm about this film. You either love it or you hate it. And I'm going to kind of be with Tom on this one. Oh. Um, yeah, I think... Uh, I think he's like a David Lynch kind of director um, where he's very stylized. Um, and if you can connect with that style, you're going to have a great time. And if you don't, um, you're not going to make, you're just not going to connect with anything that's going on, even though the story at the center is pretty straightforward. Um, it's just told in the, the most insane way possible. And what could come off as amateurish, I think for the director was very, uh, precise and, and well executed, uh, which is kind of crazy to say about House, but uh, that's where I stand. And I think it's a great movie. I've seen it, I saw it twice, many years ago, um, and I'm happy to see it again. It's uh, very Japanese. Uh, I love it. 